mercy and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you know what tonight is, right? Well, there's that. But tonight, this year, is also I've Got a Good Excuse Night. In case you never got around to getting that special someone, that special something they wanted. It's Good Excuse Night because this year you could always say it's probably stuck on one of those dozens of boats lined up offshore waiting to be unloaded, like everything else that they get blamed on these days, right? But she didn't hear from me. I could never advocate telling a fib. But this whole night came about as a result of a fib. Have you ever thought about that? A big one. Actually, it was an outright lie. But we're here tonight to celebrate the fulfillment of a promise. A promise God first made to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden while they were packing their things to move out. You see, they'd been evicted. They had everything they could have ever wanted until Satan came along and tempted them into disobeying God with an outright lie. He convinced them that while it might have seemed like they had everything they could ever wish for, they still lacked just one thing. Sounds like just about every TV commercial you see, doesn't it? couldn't live without. In the case of our first parents, it was to be like God by disobeying God, something that had never crossed their minds. We call that the fall of man in church talk. And that fall turned, into be, turned out to be a long, long, slippery slide. Not only were they asked to leave their garden home as a result, but their perfect connection with God and his perfect will for them, well, that was broken too. But God didn't just tear up the lease and change the locks on Eden's gates. He made them a promise. He promised that he would send a savior one day to make everything right again. And even though things would be different, he would continue to care for them and love them in the meantime. And so on the very first Christmas, that promise God had made that he was going to send a savior to rescue mankind from sin became a promise fulfilled in a way most people could never have imagined. Even though God had sent his prophets over the years with, with some pretty explicit details of the plan, details that would give people hope, it would remind them that even though they still, you know, had needed more than one course correction over the centuries, God still loved them. He would never, never abandon them. We just read the 20 verses in Luke's uh, gospel, his version of the Christmas story. From the world's point of view, an unexpected child is conceived in an unexpected way and born to unexpected parents in an unexpected place at an unexpected time. And the only ones to hear it live were the least expected of all, ordinary shepherds watching their flocks by night. Not the kind of script any of us might have written for God's debut into our world, is it? But there it is, God's plan. The creator of all that is humbled himself to be born into a blue-collar family and in a stable of all places, and that only through the kind heart of an overworked innkeeper. The night all history was divided into B.C. and A.D., when God came to earth all wrapped up in a seven-pound, eight-ounce baby boy. The only thing flashy about the God of all creation becoming Emmanuel, God with us, was the birth announcement. Choir of angels appeared to those uh, poor shepherds whose Trade occupied a rung on the social ladder just about as low as you could get back in those days. That and an especially bright star in the night sky. Who would have guessed that the events that night would mean the difference between a joyous everlasting life in heaven with God or a hopeless life everlasting spent apart from him? My heartfelt prayer this evening is that the lessons 
and the words and the carols shared in churches around the world tonight will open the hearts and, and minds of people to embrace that hope God has given us in the gift of his son before it's too late. In these tenuous times when governing for the people has turned into political posturing and infighting, when countries all over the world are poised for war with one another, and when the price of a gallon of gas sounds like highway robbery, did you even hear the words of the angel to those shepherds tonight, the ones guarding their flocks? Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Savior. Imagine that. To save us from what exactly? War? 2,000 years after that first Christmas. We've still got plenty of war in the world. Pestilence? Famine? Global warming, earthquakes, volcanoes, microscopic viruses turning people's lives and their families upside down? Couldn't have been based on all the evidence around us. To save us from what then? To bring us what good news exactly? To bring us peace. Not horizontal peace, not worldly peace to the north, south, east, and west. Not this kind of peace. Peace among the nations and the, uh, and the world. That, that day is coming. But it's not here yet. Now, God sent his son to make uh, possible a whole different kind of peace, the kind you can't go on living without, one vastly more important than peace between nations and, and peace between peoples. Earthly peace accords, they, they come and go. But there's another peace we should be seeking that transcends earthly peace, peace between God and man. And that comes from faith and from his unconditional forgiveness. And if this world were all there was, and we simply appeared on this rock and, and put in our 40 or 60 or 80 years or so and then returned to the dust, it wouldn't make much difference where we stood with him. But there's more. And don't you bet your eternity that there isn't. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain by keeping an open mind about this. This life is just part of our journey, a stopping off place on our way to forever. And where we stand forever depends on where we already stand with God when we get there. Christmas tells us we can be sure that we can be sure of that future. Earlier we heard the prophet Isaiah. That was some 700 years before Jesus was born. Talking about a people walking in darkness, seeing a great light. He's not talking about a flip on the switch kind of light. Uh, even Isaiah had oil lamps for, for physical, natural light. The darkness he's talking about isn't the absence of that physical light. He's talking about the dark presence of sin and about the light God would send in to us to, to dispel the power of sin's darkness in our world. The light we celebrate tonight. It's what all the candles are about. The light of Christ in the world. The light of his own son born into the flesh. Jesus, true God and now also true man. You know, God had come into our world to bring us light that would drive away the darkness of sin with his love and his perfect life and his sacrifice and his unconditional forgiveness. Jesus once said, I am the light of the world. The true light, the end of the tunnel. You know, it's like driving out of a tunnel into the light, isn't it? Except this time the light is God's loving embrace around the whole world. And with that humble birth also came a chance for us to get to know our creator, God. Know that he's not some, just some all-knowing, all-powerful uh, you know, being out there somewhere uh, spying on us to see if we've been good or we've been bad. 
a truly personal God, a God who's with us, who's uh, involved in our lives, who came in response to our need by his choice, a God who came to rescue us. A lot of people don't think they need saving, do they? It goes against our nature. We figure we're doing all right on our own because we can always look around and point to somebody else who's doing way worse, living way worse. Someone who ought to be in jail, maybe, or maybe already is, but not us. And in the world's view, you know, that, that might all be true. But don't bet the farm that what this world thinks is good enough will actually be enough on the day you really need it. Because God's standard is perfection. We just had an example not too long ago in the local news. Maybe you saw the story. It was just before Thanksgiving about an Arco gas station over in Whittier that was selling gas one night for 45 cents a gallon. Special promotion? Not likely, right? Now, there have been other stories like this, and it's always uh, due to an employee, you know, inputting the wrong price, moving a decimal point, those kinds of things. Uh, mistake. Video on the news showed cars lined up for blocks, waiting their turn to fill up. Police finally showed up to find out what all the, what all the cars were lined up for, what it was all about. So who loses in something like this? The franchise owner. Thousands of dollars. So was it good fortune for those drivers that night? Or was it more like petty theft? You know, what would you do if that happened to you? Think to yourself as you were pumping, ho, ho, holy mackerel, I have to get my other car over here before they fix this thing. <laughs> After all, right, big oil companies are making billions of dollars each year at our expense. Sure they are. Exorbitant fuel taxes make California's gas some of the highest in the country. They won't miss it. But in the end, it's the station owner who gets robbed. It all seems so innocent out there in the darkness, even more so when there's no attendant on duty. But in here, in the light, on Christmas Eve, we all know the right answer, don't we? Notify the owner. Call the police. But in the cold, you know, out there in Isaiah's dark world, it can seem more like payback than, than pilfering. That's our sinful nature. You've got one. So why? We're born with it. Every person since our very first parents has been born with one. It's been passed down from generation to generation, one generation to the next. And it's that, that tendency to make choices and, and do things that, that lead us to walk away from God rather than move closer to him. It's what allows us to justify everything from petty theft to addictive lifestyles. But tonight's about happy thoughts. And the happiest thought of all is that in spite of our not being nearly good enough to achieve everlasting life in heaven on our own, God loved us enough to send his son into our world to be perfect for us. That's what Christmas is all about, the incarnation. That's a church word that means God's son, Jesus, took on flesh and lived among us without sin to accomplish what we could never do. Living the kind of life, the perfect life that God wants from us, and he did it in our place. What a wonderful gift that is. That little baby, true God and true man, must not have looked much like the Son of God that night. You know, all wrinkled and pink and fresh. That's one of the reasons people don't believe the story. Humble beginnings. I mean, if God had really showed up after all that time of waiting, don't you think it would wouldn't be incognito. There'd be fireworks and brass bands and parades. Well, there weren't fireworks, maybe. There were angels. 
a whole sky full of them singing and praising God. But Jesus wasn't born next door to the temple in Jerusalem either. Way out where Bethlehem was, only the shepherds could hear them singing. At the word of the angels, the shepherds ran to see the baby Jesus. Then they ran off to tell everyone else. The long-awaited Savior of the world had been born. Like any mom, Mary would have held him close to keep him warm and protect him, right? Held his tiny hand in hers. You know, one, two, three, four, five fingers. Mothers do that, right? Hands that would one day learn to hold the tools of his earthly father, Joseph's carpenter trade. Gentle hands that would never lash out at anyone. Hands whose very touch would one day heal and even bring new life from death. Hands unafraid to touch life's cast-offs and embrace sinners and reach out to all people regardless of who they were. Hands that would touch lepers and restore dead flesh. Hands that would one day touch the eyes of the blind and give them sight. Hands that would touch twisted limbs and give them new strength. Hands that would one day reach out and hug the littlest ones when he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Mary would have held his tiny feet amazed at how wonderfully they were made. Little baby feet that would one day walk the dry, dusty roads of Galilee, take him to all sorts of places where he could preach the good news of teach strangers about a God who already knew them intimately and still loved them unconditionally. How could Mary have even imagined the trials that her firstborn would uh, be faced with later in life, would be forced to endure, really? Would have broken a heart that was certainly bursting with love. The day would come when those tiny arms and hands and feet, now a man's hands and arms and feet, would be stretched out and nailed to a rough cut wooden cross where he would suffer and die as our substitute for our sins. Because even in the stable that Christmas night, the light of the, in the light of the, the, the torches, the, the, the crisp light the Christmas star cast, it, it cast a shadow of a cross over the manger where he lay. Irma Bombeck once said that there's nothing sadder in this world than to awake Christmas morning and not be a child. And I can understand where she was coming from when, when she said that. But I think on an even higher level, I'd have to say, yeah, but once you really get Christmas, once you get Christmas, it only gets better with age because Christmas isn't about the presents. It's about the gift. Christmas is all about getting what we don't deserve. You know, maybe your life is filled with uh, conflict, unhappiness, or emotional pain this Christmas season. That's true for a lot of people and for many different reasons. All the happiness of the season can't mask the desperate hurt that many of us are really feeling. All the troubles of this life, all of them, are part and parcel of living in a dark, fallen world, the one we made God's once perfect world into, sin. But the gift of Christmas is about the healing, and it's about the sure hope and the happiness that transcends this earthly life with the promise of a better one. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow, joy for all time. That's the real gift of Christmas. And most of you are here tonight to celebrate this precious gift from God, from God the Father of God the Son. You were drawn maybe by your faith in the Christ child, faith gifted to you by God the Holy Spirit through the word, the waters of holy baptism. Welcome. Others may be here out of curiosity or kindness to a loved one or maybe because you just like singing the carols. Welcome. 
Christmas is a time of rich traditions, and so maybe you're here tonight out of a sense of tradition. It's what your family has always done on Christmas Eve. And even if that's what brought you here tonight, welcome. For no matter who you are, why you're here, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all human understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.